Warning, incoming game. Warning, incoming game. Welcome to Incoming Game Bonus Edition. It's the podcast where we talk to uh, Gavin Blair, one of the co-creators and writers of Reboot. And he's here with us today to discuss seasons three and four. Hi, Gavin. Hello. How's it going? It's good. I I did the worst possible thing you could do on a day you're going to record your voice. I went walking in the cool air and then drank too much coffee. (laughs) Oh, no. So if my voice quits partway through... Forgive me. We'll just do a cliffhanger to be continued. You know? <laughs> so I uh, will guess we'll start with how season three came about. So ABC had canceled you and YTV was picking you up. Uh, how did that go? Was that a seamless transition? What changed behind the scenes? Uh, and you obviously had a lot more freedom to get uh, some more adult jokes in there and more adult themes. What was that like? Well, basically, YTV loved us, and they loved everything and anything we did. And they were like, please do more, please do more. We did a deal for season three, and we had more control and less oversight. And I remember Ian and I were in L.A. with Dan. Dan DiDio, that is. And we had lunch in L.A. We had like three hours to kill before Ian and I flew back to Vancouver and Dan flew back to New York. And we sat in a restaurant in Santa Monica, and it was a a steak restaurant where they have the paper tablecloths. And we started talking about Reboot Season 3, and Dan's like, wait, wait, wait. And he gets his pen out, and he starts writing on the tablecloth. (laughs) (laughs) And after a while, he fills the patch of tablecloth that's immediately in front of him. So then he, like, rotates it and folds it and carries on writing and then rotates it and folds it again. And, and he ends up origamiing this <laughs> na- this tablecloth down into a, a folded-up piece of paper with writing on every side. And we were throwing out, oh, we'll do four arcs and this and that, and we'll go here and then, ooh, Matrix and Andrea and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and he's furiously writing notes down. And at the end, he's like, right. And he just put it in his briefcase and had to take it back to New York and decode it (laughs) and like unfold it and work out, okay, where does it start? Where does it end? Where's the bit in the middle? And work it and put it all down. And we planned out the four arcs. We really like the uh, the way the four arcs thing worked as a storytelling method. I get people sort of saying, oh, why didn't you do more episodes of this and more episodes of that? You know, more episodes with little Enzo and little Andrea in the net. And it's like, well, that would have been nice. But when when you're creating and putting together a show, you do a deal with a network to do X number of episodes. And then you have to work out, okay, these are our episodes. What story do we want to tell in those X number of episodes? And you have to make calls and go, we're going to do this. And yes, it would be nice to do more of that, but that's not what we're doing. We want to get from here to here. So we did what we did and we made the choices we made and we made our bed and we had to lie in it kind of thing. And I think it, it turned out pretty well. I mean, I would have loved to have done a spin-off show of Little Andrea and Little Matrix. <laughs> Little Enzo, sorry, in the net growing up. That would have been a great show. Speaking of that, uh, what was the general reaction to the time jump? Matrix is a character I think that guys love. So when the crew saw the designs for him, it was like, oh, yeah, he's badass. And everybody was very much into that. And and obviously, growing up Andrea, very nice. <laughs> Plus, kicks ass. So that's a bonus. I think people were, were excited and intrigued about it. And there were also the questions, which not only the crew, but the viewers were like, well, wait a minute, how did and how long of, you know, all that was all very intriguing to people, I think. It was well received. But then, yeah, then we'd get the, so what happened? Do we ever see what happened? It's like, well, maybe, you know, (laughs) fingers crossed, but never got there. You get to play a lot with genre on this season, uh, which was pretty great. I personally really loved getting to see Xena and Gabrielle in an episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was obviously a personal favorite of mine, too. I'm (laughs) I'm a huge Xena fan myself. But did you have a particular favorite episode or specific nod that you got to throw in there or... Evil Dead, obviously. I think I think I mentioned that when we did our wrap up of season two. It's, I mean, the, the the Evil Dead episode is awesome. When we were going into season three, we actually did a little thing amongst the crew and said, "Have you guys got any ideas you'd like to do?" And 
one of the guys, uh, Mike Scorey, I think his name was, he said, Evil Dead. And we're like, yeah. And he's like, no, Evil Dead, that'd be awesome. We should do an Evil Dead game. <laughs> and that was his entire input. For which, that was the whole idea. <laughs> for which he got credit. And we had a lot of fun with it, and it worked. Now, I mean, you got to work with Star Trek royalty with uh, DC Fontana, right? Oh, that was, I mean, that was me, Dan, and Ian just using our position for our own benefit. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, how did that happen? What was it, what was it like working with her? Well, it, it, I mean, me, Dan, and Ian are very similar guys. We got big comic book collections. We love all the classic sci-fi, and we all love Star Trek and all this kind of thing. And Dan, he had a Rolodex with everybody's number in it. In his various careers at ABC and so on, he'd, he'd made all these contacts and contacts of contacts. And we were like, oh, it'd be great to do a Star Trek episode, you know, and just totally play with that. And he's like, well, we, I could get in touch with DC Fontana. And me and Ian were like, do it. <laughs> do it and we you got... haven't done it already why haven't you called <laughs> we got Gillian Anderson first to DC Fontana later <laughs> yeah go local first and then spread your wings and of course the, the comic book guys we were working with people like Len Wein uh, and Marv Wolfman who were heroes of ours from you know the comics we'd read 20 years previously so just to be able to work with those guys on stuff was amazing my big introduction to comics was through X-Men specifically Wolverine and Len Wein, I mean, that's, he wrote the, like, seminal Wolverine comics. Yep. <laughs> so seeing his name was always just like, oh my gosh, he wrote this? Yes. No, that was a big fanboy moment when it was like me, Dan and Ian in Ian's office and, and Marv and Len came in. And it was like, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> and we were all just sitting there very quietly, not wanting to say anything. Oh boy. Yeah, so that was cool. So we were just having fun. We, we were just like, hey, we're in a position of power, let's use it. And, and meeting all these wonderful people. Speaking of having fun, how did the musical ending come about? You just said, like, you know what? I, we really want to do a musical. We have minutes to fill. Uh, <laughs> we're ending the show. Like, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> I'm trying to think how exactly that came about. Um, the guy, the scriptwriter we used on, the, that, on that script was a guy called Ken Pontac, who is an absolute loon of a man. He's fantastic. And I love him to bits, and we're, we're mates now, but he's a loony. And he worked on a show with Dan called Bump in the Night. Oh, Mr. Bumpy, yeah. Oh, I remember that show. The claymation one, yeah. Exactly, yes. So Dan and, and Ken worked on that together. So that's how Dan knew Ken. And I can't remember if we'd said, you know, we want to do a musical episode, but we brought Ken in to, to move that script along, and he basically wrote the whole episode as a musical. The whole episode. The whole episode, but not like a stage musical, which is the way it ended up. He did it like a traditional musical where the characters would walk in and say, hey, how's it going? And it's like, well, da, 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 and they'd sing. <laughs> and it wasn't quite what we were looking for, but, <laughs> but it contained within the script the entire wrap-up thing. Not, it wasn't presented as, a, if I recall correctly, it wasn't presented in the script as a stage play. It was all the characters singing about what had happened verbatim. He wrote that, <laughs> the, and we went, well, the rest of the script isn't quite right, and it's not quite what we're after, but this is brilliant, and we have to use it. And we, we rewrote the rest of the episode, the, the sort of more traditional parts of the episode, and took his rendition and plonked it on stage and gave it to the mainframe strolling players and gave it to the animators to just go mad with. And it was brilliant. And I mean, I've watched it over and over again myself, and it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Was the rest of the musical also Gilbert and Sullivan inspired, or did he write music for it? Or <laughs> no, he didn't write. He didn't write music for it, uh, and I can't remember if it was to any specific tunes. But that bit was. He actually said, you know, in the script, this is sung to the tune of. Uh, I the rest of the stuff was more, you know, would you like a cup of coffee, dear? Kind of thing. You know, was... <laughs> How much of the Damon storyline had you planned out at this point in season three? Like, was there ever any intention of having her actually show up earlier? Um, there was never any intention of having Damon show up in season three. To be honest, when we were making season three, we didn't think there would be a season four. But we s decided to still put those little breadcrumbs in there because you never know and you never say never. 
as for what happens in Damon Rising, so somewhere between season one and season two, we'd written this plot for a movie. Ian, Phil and I went off for a week on Vancouver Island in a cabin. So we went off and locked ourselves away and came up with the plot of what was at that time called Terabyte Rising. And many of the things that happen, both in a little bit season three and definitely the Damon Rising arc, were in that script, like um, Wellman's portal device and things like this. We created them for that story. Then we got season two, and we went, okay, well, we'll start putting seeds in season two. So that's why we knew when we could drop those breadcrumbs, we knew what we were talking about. We'd already worked out the plot. And we were still, I think at every point, we were still hoping that one day we'd get to make that movie. And then it turned into season four. That kind of leads me into another question I had, which was that we see a lot of foreshadowing, specifically with regards to Matrix and him losing his eye. Yes. How much of that did you know ahead of time? That, the eye thing, I would love to make ourselves look very clever. No, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't plan the eye thing. I think it's identity crisis, isn't it? Where you see teenage Enzo. He has a scar on his eye. So then when we did Andrea and he's in a game and he's wearing an eye patch, it's like, well, put it on the same eye. You know, and then when you make the joke about, oh, it's only funny till somebody loses an eye and he pulls his eyeball out, make it the same eye. And then when this happens, <laughs> make it the same eye. You know, we weren't being bloody clever and thinking ahead. We, <laughs> we just had an idea and ran with it. And then it became a thing. And then it was right. He's going to lose an eye. It has to be that eye. In retrospect, it, you do look very clever for doing <laughs> So season three kind of ended with what a lot of people saw as like a perfectly satisfying ending. Like, like you said, you didn't even know that you would get a season four, but you still left some unresolved plots and cliffhangers to return to. So like, was that kind of your way to have it both ways just in case you did or didn't get renewed? Precisely. It was a, a sort of have your cake and eat it, which is a very strange saying. <laughs> I agree. I hate that one. <laughs> uh, it's like, what, you want the cake and you want to eat the cake? Yeah, of course. I want. Anyway, um, no, that was us going, we're not going to be mean and do a cliffhanger. <laughs> hmm, not yet. <laughs> Let's do a big, beautiful finish. We'll smash everything to pieces and then we'll bring it all back and it'll be all beautiful and we'll let Bob and Doc kiss which we would never have done if we knew we were doing a season four. Uh, but we went, no, we're done. Let's finish it. Let's let them kiss. We honestly thought that we were done. You know, at the time, Dan was like, yeah, I don't think there's going to be any interest in doing any more reboot. But we didn't want to just tie absolutely everything up with a neat little bow. You know, we weren't going to have Turbo appear on a vid window and go, oh, by the way, Bob, we've fixed the whole Damon thing. And, you know, we, we, we wanted to leave some stuff on the table in case we do get to carry on. So you ended up adding a bunch of new characters this season, um, specifically with kind of keeping your finger on the pulse of what's happening in the internet. So you had a web surfer, you had a search engine pop in. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you had a 2019 reboot, what kind of characters do you think you would be creating for 2019 internet? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Obviously, if we were doing reboot now, we'd have to take on board all the things like multiplayer games and games that are online constantly and stuff like that. We'd have to find ways of addressing all of that stuff. All the mobile phone games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, the both the web surfer and the uh, search engine were both gratuitous product placements, right? You know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for, your, for the ride? Yeah. I mean, w we were going to introduce a web surfer anyway because he was part of the plot. But the sponsorship thing, you know, putting the Motorola logo on his belt was an extra little bonus. And Maxine, you know, we used her in our own ride film. So I guess it was product placement for ourselves. So that's okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, God, I don't know. What do you, do you think we need to deal with these days? I feel like the first thing would have to be memes. <laughs> oh, God, memes. The same thing, but slightly different every time. Just like some kind of running gag. <laughs> trolls. Trolls would have to be a big one. <laughs> trolls, yes. They'd be like literal trolls, too. <laughs> Me no like. Smash. <laughs> yes. Or bots. Bots. Oh, good one. Yes. Yes, you'll get credit for that, Jess, if it ever happens. <laughs> Russian bots. Hello. I am American, like you. <laughs> <laughs> 
So now, do you have any insight as to why in the UK they stopped airing it after like episode nine? Like, because like Return of the Crimson Binome was like the final one to air over in the UK. Oh God, yes. It was funny that the way different networks reacted to what we did. To be honest, we sold both YTV and ABC a kids show, quote unquote, and then we started tackling bigger issues and more grown-up issues. Obviously, by that point, ABC had ditched us. YTV loved everything we did because the kids were loving it. The audience was growing. Everybody loved the show. They loved not being talked down to. They loved handling these big issues. Um, Britain kept airing it, but they were like, we bought a children's show and this is not a children's show. So we're going to start editing it and bleeping things out and stuff like this. <laughs> you know, and we'd, Ian would say things back to them like, but is it popular? And they're like, oh yes, it's very popular. And they're like, well, why don't you like go with it and like embrace it and maybe move it to a slightly later time slot where the little kiddies aren't watching? Oh, well, no, that's not what we bought. You know, and it's that British thing of we ordered this and this is what we want. And if you're going to change it, we're just going to stop showing it. And I think they went through a few edits. I think what pushed them over the edge was uh, Evil Dead. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. They were not happy about that one. And I think they then started getting grumpy and editing things and bleeping things. And then they just stopped. They just went, no, we're not airing it. And they stopped airing it. Was it Dot's fault in Evil Dead? But <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. The In America, it's the sex that pisses people off. And in Britain, I think it's the violence. Uh. The groovy and the guns and the zombies. And Ooh, that's not very nice. Uh, yeah, they don't. I think Britain has a, a a tradition of like you know the odd bosom is okay, but you, know, <laughs> you can't whip out a gun. That's bad. <laughs> Eyeballs falling off. Eyeballs, yeah. <laughs> so um, when we interviewed Zeke, one of the uh, big sticking points that we had because we had just watched the episode, right, was uh, the reveal of older Matrix and Andrea. Oh yeah, of course he did icons, yeah. Yeah, we were just like, why did you spoil this? We had the intro and the reveal that they're older, you know, kind of spoiled the shock and surprise of seeing that. Yeah, I was I was listening to that. And I honestly, I've obviously Mandela'd it in my head. <laughs> that, um, if you know that reference. I do, yeah. I am convinced in my mind that the first time it aired... It, it didn't have a title sequence on it, or it had the title sequence from the previous arc on it. But I'm, hmm. I'm, I'm clearly wrong. <laughs> and I've got to go with what Zeke said, because he was right there on the shop floor. He, he directed the episode, so he would know. According to him, like he fought to like have the intro removed, and it was like vetoed. But <laughs> and, and rightly so. I would have been fighting alongside him on that one, I think. I, I, he, he said he had a row with Ian about it, and I have no knowledge of that. <laughs> Like to the point where he's gonna like sneak it out of the building. <laughs> yeah, I was clearly looking, you know, in a different edit suite, looking at a different show when that was happening. But I'm totally with Zeke on that one. <laughs> You're just in the edit, like yeah, 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 whatever you want, whatever you say, Zeke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ask Ian. I, I'm busy right now. Yeah. <laughs> I think we uh, should. Yeah, let's pop into the listener questions then for for season three here. Ooh. Uncle Chunt on Twitter. Ah, Uncle Chun. Yes. Uh, says that Andrea's adult design appeared to me during my formative years, so thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> and Matrix was who he wanted to be. Two iconic characters on an iconic show close to my heart. So how did censors allow their sexy designs, and who do we thank for designing them? Do you know, I, I think I saw that question, and I was thinking about it, and I can picture designs for a lot of the other characters, and I can't remember the designs for Matrix and Andrea. And again, in my head, I could be getting this wrong. Uh, in my head, I think they were very much directed by Ian. The whole idea of... <laughs> oh God, I can't believe I'm talking about a kid's show. We took our favourite stripper, <laughs> <laughs> who was also a model, and we actually hired her and, and took shots of her, clothed, <laughs> to model for Andrea's body. And for Matrix... I th I, I, in my mind, Phil built Matrix under Ian's direction. And Ian would be like, no, bigger shoulders, bigger muscles, bigger legs, bigger <laughs> No, and boots, put the big Daytons on him and all this kind of stuff. So I want to say that they came out of Ian's head as manifested by Phil 
building Matrix and me building Andrea. And then I think Mike Ferraro built Andrea's head. So it was a group effort, and if Uncle Chunt wants to thank anybody, it should be Ian. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got uh, Nolan Hayes, who asks, Did having your main child character getting his eye gouged out not at least cause some discussion with the network? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think it did. They were a bit like, ooh, really? (laughs) You know, and (laughs) the thing with YTV, we would do it and then show it to them, and if they had any comments, we'd maybe do tweak the edit a little bit, make it a bit less gratuitous. But the the loss of the eye bit was definitely, it was a thing for Ian's like, no, he loses his eye, we see it happen, and everybody's like, are you sure? And things like this, and it's like, oh my god, you took his eye out! And the, <laughs> the slow-mo chunk where he gets hit in the eye with the blade. No, I remember everybody, especially Dan, sort of going, are you sure? And Ian going, no, we're doing it. And we did it, and they broadcast it. Dave on Twitter says that the whole thing was a good compile, so thank you, Gavin and Mainframe. Uh, And it has the question of the origin of sprite mode. So this is what saves Enzo and Andrea in the games. Oh, I guess the, the game sprite mode? The game sprite mode, yeah. I think, you know, again, it's not we didn't think ahead and go, and then uh, Little Andrea and Little Matrix are going to lose in a game and have to use game sprite mode to escape. We didn't think that far ahead, but when we got Andrea out of a game, that started us thinking in other directions. And the fact she had a game sprite icon became a thing, and it was like, ooh, now you've got two types of icon. And then Mouse does her thing where she takes code from one and puts it in the other so now they can both do it and things like this. And then when they were going to die, it's like, oh, and they escape in game sprite mode. Maybe Ian thought of it all along because he's a clever bastard and he used to think of things like that. But I seem to remember it was a, it was an evolution. It wasn't a, we thought of everything at once. We thought of it a bit at a time and then went with it and went, okay, what can we do with this? And what do the different forms of sprite mean? You know, we know what happens if you're a sprite and you lose a game. But if you're a game sprite... And she actually says it in Andrea, doesn't she? He says, but win or lose, she'll leave with the game. So we planted that seed earlier than we used it. That was it. So it was an evolution of what does it mean? And then it was an evolution of, okay, how can we use it? Uh, So I guess this is technically season two question. But we were talking about game sprite mode. And um, I don't think I brought this up last season. Andrea, when she's in the game, the first time we meet her makes a copy of herself and hides it in his icon. Does that mean there's another Andrea out there still in the Atlantis game? Yep. Oh my god, there's two of everyone. Would that have come back at some point, maybe? Would they have met little Andrea again? I mean, we did talk about that. It's like, you know, ooh, it's possible that if that game came in again, there would be little Andrea's game sprite, and she'd now be smarter because she'd played a whole bunch more games, because that's the point. She's an AI sprite. She gets smarter and smarter. And it would have been an interesting idea, I think, for like season seven. But we <laughs> we never got there. Way down the road. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it, she's a copy. She puts a backup of herself on his icon. And that's what comes out in the game. So obviously, she remembers everything up to doing that. But there's the poor little Andrea watching Enzo leave the game and saying goodbye, my friend. And it gets me every time I watch that. Because yeah, she, she has to carry on rebooting and playing the game. Aww. That's so sad. Did the episode with no name have another name at one point? Yes, it did. It was called Ayaya Wawawa. <laughs> <laughs> I shit you not, that was the name of the episode. That was, I, I've got somewhere a printout of that script that has Ayaya Wawawa on the cover. <laughs> but the grown ups in the room were like, you know, you can't do that. What, gonna have production assistants going, which show are you working on? Ay, 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 wah, wah, wah. No, you can't have that. <laughs> so we went, all right, it's the episode with no name. <laughs> so uh, William Burton wants to know what the real story is behind the restart Y slash N at the end of season three. Apparently there's a story behind it. <laughs> there is a story behind it. Um, oh, God. If, you, if I could ever go back and change anything, that would be the thing. <laughs> Is it because you didn't say reboot, you said restart? Is that the thing? Phil and I, we we were far too Sheldon Cooper about that one. <laughs> we were like, no, but when you restore a system, it doesn't say reboot, it says restart. So we, and we were like, but should it say reboot? It's like, well, it should say reboot, but... <laughs> 
but it, that's not how it works. <laughs> um, uh, what it should be is, and so we were too. Oh, we were so stupid. <laughs> I don't care what it should say. What it should have said was reboot, because that's the name of the freaking show. So we put restart in there because we were being far too anal. <laughs> and then when Ian saw it, he went, what the hell are you doing? Why does it say restart? It should say reboot. It's like, oh, well, it doesn't act. Shut up, you idiot. <laughs> and it's, it's yeah. So we, we totally dropped the ball on that one. So uh, Michael Steele asks, uh, if the game hopping had gone on for any longer, what other kind of systems would you have liked to have them enter? Are there any other, like, games or movie inspirations that you would have uh, added in there? Oh, blimey. Um, I mean, that's a hard one to answer. I don't remember us talking specifically about anything. But I mean, I, we'd have just carried on whatever was the cool thing of the day, I think, you know, or the thing to take the mickey out of this week. Um, so I, I've got nothing specific off the top of my head. We we planned to do four episodes, so we didn't, there was no point thinking, oh, and it would have been nice to go here. It's like, yeah, but we, we haven't got an episode for that, so why are you even thinking about it kind of thing? <laughs> we We had enough on our hands to make the four episodes that we made. But uh, I can imagine lots of fun to be had if we had done more. <laughs> Do you want to move on to season four? Okay, if we must. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Well, let's start with the beginning. So four years later, you come back and say, oh yeah, I guess you guys can make some more reboot episodes. <laughs> yeah. How did that come about? Uh, what did that look like? It's a, a large, complicated tale. And I want to make it as short and simple as possible. The story of season four has two distinct phases, let's say. And I, I refer to them as the dot phase and the bob phase. The dot phase is we had a plan and it was going to be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and then the bob phase is it all went to hell and we had to make it up as we went along. Dan was out there doing the deals and wheeling and dealing and stuff. And he, he came back to us and said, Cartoon Network are interested in maybe doing more reboot. And we're like, oh my God, really? So we start bouncing phone calls, meetings, contracts, yada, yada, yada. We do this deal with Cartoon Network and YTV to make more episodes of reboot. So we get very excited and we start being all creative and like, oh, now we can do Damon Rising, woo, all this kind of stuff. We wanted to do four arcs. We wanted to do a season three again, you know, like four sets of four. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want 16, so we settled on 12. So we were going to do 12 episodes, three four-episode arcs. Damon Rising, My Two Bobs, and the other one. <laughs> oh, we forgot those DVDs, Ben. That was our problem. Oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> so we did the deal with Cartoon Network to sell them seasons one to three at a reduced rate, right? So they could pick up the first three seasons, play full price for the fourth season. And they said, what we're going to do is we're going to put it in heavy rotation and we're really going to push it. There's going to be reboot on every day, seven days a week. We're going to do six days where we run through seasons one to three. And then on the Friday night, prime time, we're going to do the new episodes. And we were like, this is it, boys. The ship has come in. <laughs> this is the brass ring, the Stanley Cup. This is everything we've always wanted. Because Canada always loved reboot. YTV always loved reboot. Passionate fan base here. Small but passionate fan base in America. But we'd never cracked it. We'd never made the big one. And this was going to be it. Friday night, prime time, woohoo. Everything's going to be great. As soon as a network says they're going to do that, the next domino in line is, you know, negotiating with various toy sellers like Mr. Walmart and Mrs. Toys R Us. <laughs> and, and they find out that, ooh, wait a minute, so Reboot's going to be in heavy rotation prime time on American TV. Oh, well, we'll take all the toys you can give us and sell the shit out of them. And it's like, oh, this is just getting better and better. We start planning massive toy line with wave after wave of toys and play sets and action figures and oh, it's all going to be fantastic. Our own production wing, you know, the, the business types at Mainframe are like, you've got our full backing. If you need a few extra animators, that's fine. If you need to overrun a little bit, that's fine too. Don't worry about it. Dot's plan is kicking ass. <laughs> so then we come up with another idea. Ian and I particularly always had trouble cramming all our plot into 21 minutes. You can see that in season three. We, we could barely cram it all in. 
So we came up with this great idea for season four. Let's not worry about it. Let's write the scripts the length they need to be and produce the whole thing. So you'll end up with episodes that are like 28, 30, 34 minutes long. The Netflix route. Yeah, but of course, this is before Netflix even existed. This is 18 years ago. Nowadays, it'd be like, oh, yeah, everybody does that. So anyway, you make these over-length episodes, or full-length, as I called them, and then you, for TV, you edit them down to 22 minutes. Then when you buy the DVD, which Mr. Walmart and Mrs. Toys R Us are going to sell for us, you get full-length episodes. You get extra footage. You get the full story. And you can use that as a selling point. And it's like, whoa, that's fantastic. So we can relax and put all the jokes and silliness and emotion and plot into these episodes. Wallop, this is fantastic. This plan is great. Oh, meanwhile, YTV have said, we don't want episodes. We want to do My Two Bobs and Damon Rising and the other one as primetime movie events. We're going to do it as a two-hour movie. And we're like, yeah, that's fine. We can do that. That's no worries there. Great. Everything's fantastic. So they were going to air it as TV movies, but you were writing them as individual episodes that were strung together as a quote-unquote movie. Yeah, we would write four episodes and they would broadcast it as a movie. Now, obviously, they were written by the same people and the director on the four episodes was the same. We were hoping that there'd be enough synergy that it would work when you cut it together. That was my question, was like how the pacing would have worked if it was as a movie rather than as four episodes, like if it would have been different. Yes, I think we would have both written it slightly differently and directed it slightly differently if it was going to be a movie. Our plan was to do the episodes. YTV said, we want it as movies. We said, will this work for you? And they were like, yeah, that we can work with that because you've got commercial breaks all the way through it anyway. And we also figured that if we were doing these over-length episodes, it would help the editor create that flow. He'd have more footage to play with to create more of a movie feel to it when he edited it together as a movie. We knew it wouldn't be perfect as a movie, but it would be good enough. And YTV thought so too. So that's the dot phase. (laughs) So then the Bob phase happens. I guess we are in production on Damon Rising... And we're in pre-production on My Two Bobs. And then it all fell apart. What happens is, and I'm massively oversimplifying, but if you go up the tree of who owns who, Cartoon Network is owned by Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers said to Cartoon Network, why are you giving so much coverage to a property we don't own? (laughs) So dad came in and said, hey, what's going on? Yeah, why are you playing with someone else's toys? Why aren't you playing with our toys? Why aren't you showing, I don't know, Batman primetime? Why are you planning to show this Canadian show that doesn't belong to us primetime? So Ian gets a call from Cartoon Network saying, you know how we were going to show it like seven days a week, primetime? <laughs> yeah, we're not going to do that now. We're going to show the old episodes like once. We'll run through the cycle of old episodes once. And then we'll show the new episodes once. Not prime time. They'll be on at like, if I recall correctly, 11.30 on a Saturday night. Oof. Which is death. Not for Adult Swim, right? (laughs) Not for Adult Swim, but... For Walmart and (laughs) Toys R Us. Precisely. For Mr. Walmart and Mrs. Toys R Us, they're like, wait, what? You're not showing it seven days a week primetime? Oh, well, those toys you're planning, we won't need any of those. Oh, no. (laughs) So the toy line gets slashed back as far as they could legally slash it. You know, because there were certain toys that were already being produced that they couldn't cancel. I think if they'd had their druthers, they would have canceled the entire toy line. So my nine-inch mouse goes out the window. My nine-inch hexadecimal goes out the window. My nine-inch dot goes out the window. Little did they know how many boys would love a nine-inch hexadecimal. (laughs) Damn right. So Irwin Toy, who apparently had invested like over two million of their own money into planning this toy line with us, basically went bust not that long afterwards, I seem to recall. And then the next domino to fall was our own production, Mainframe's own production department, saying... Oh, you know how we said we'll extend the deadline if you need it and we'll give you more animators if you need it (laughs) and we'll give you more time if you need it? Yeah, you can't have any of that. And the over-length episodes, no, that's gone too. 
So basically, our own production department went to the two directors, George and Steve, and said, eight 21-minute episodes, that's it. Mm. Everything falls off the table at this point. And I've got directors, you know, crying on my shoulder going, I'm sorry, Gav, I just can't, I don't have the screen time. This scene with Hex, I've got to cut it. These jokes, they got to go. Because the first thing to go when you're editing anything down is humour. Mm-hmm. Because humour takes time. You know, to set up, pay off, and enjoy a gag takes time. And gags don't normally move the plot forward. So the action gets reduced. The emotions, you're like, well, I've got four emotional beats, but I can only fit two of them. So which two do you want? So, you know, pardon the pun, the hacking and the slashing of the scripts begins. It's like, this is your deadline. These are your animators. Your modelers have already moved on to other projects. Get it done. Get it out the door. Finished. It's done. That's a roller coaster with a horrible ending. <laughs> yeah. And on top of that, like I think you had mentioned at one point that uh, YTV had become worse than ABC in regards to the BSNP. What changed? <laughs> yes. There was a new person in the loop and she had a real bee in her bonnet about Andrea's boobs. She was convinced that we were trying to pull a fast one with Andrea's boobs. Because all the models had to be updated from season three to season four, you know, new software, new hardware, yada, yada, yada. Better textures, better models. So we did Andrea. And hand on heart, Andrea's boobs were the same size they were in season three. (laughs) I swear to God, they were the same size. And her bikini top, even though it was a new version of the texture map, was identical to the bikini top she was wearing in season three. But this person at YTV was convinced we'd made the boobs bigger and the bikini smaller. And Ian eventually is like, oh, just make them smaller, for God's sake. Just make her boobs smaller, make the bra bigger. So we did that, sent it to YTV. You've done it again. You've made them bigger. (laughs) No, we haven't. (laughs) She was convinced that we were trying to pull one over on her. And she would not let it go. Eventually, the boobs ended up much smaller, and the bikini was like something from the Victorian age. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a halted bra. And then there's an action scene where Andrea crashes her bike, and she does the twirl on a bar and lands and then runs. And it's a great action scene, and she looks fantastic. And they're like, you made the boobs bigger in that shot. And it's like, no, we did not. (laughs) Jesus Christ, we're in the middle of animation. We're not going to make the boobs bigger just to piss you off. (laughs) She wouldn't have it. We had to take it into the edit suite and key flames and foreground elements (laughs) in front of Andrea so you couldn't see her boobs. Oh my goodness. But at the same time, you've got these like filthy jokes that you're throwing in there. I know. Like there's what a straight up pussy joke at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Is it a pussy joke? Or is it a reference to a beloved British television series from the 80s? You can argue against it all you want. There's more than just that one. There was other incidences that I will cite time codes for. (laughs) Speaking of Damon, did it ever cross your mind to maybe make Damon like a full season villain? Or did you always just want her as this four episode arc villain? I think we'd always planned to to just deal with Damon in four episodes. I mean, obviously, there would be some hangover from what Damon did and stuff like that, but we wanted to stick to the plan of just doing the four episodes, given that we were going to do the longer episodes. When you've ended up making four over-length episodes, you basically do sneak in an extra episode there. So I still think it was enough. I mean, the whole thing about Damon was, you know, I am a time. The whole thing is a ticking clock from beginning to end, even when they don't get the continuity on her shoulder pad right. (laughs) (laughs) What was the inspiration to make her a pretty and soft-spoken French-Canadian after all these, like, eldritch tentacled demon beasts? Well, that was us going, what do people expect Damon to be? And you'd look on the internet and it's like, you know, spikes, scales, giant claws, rending, tearing, angry. And we were like, no, we're going to throw a curveball on this. We're going to make her this tiny, delicate, gentle, friendly, beautiful. Because the whole thing about her infection was that whole sort of cultish, my lady, you know, everybody's happy if they're infected by Damon. So she doesn't need to be a monster. In fact, it's better if she's not. It's better if she's a little angel with a halo. But she's massively powerful. I mean, that scene where Andrea tries to swat her with the power loader and she just, dink, 
stops it with her finger. You know, that's godlike power, you know, and, and that's what we wanted. We were working with a guy called Dean Ormstrom. He's a Barnsley lad, just like me. He, we were working with him on another project that sadly never happened. But Ian and I were going through his, his artwork and he'd drawn this picture of a character who was basically Joan of Arc. She was a small, delicate little girl in a giant suit of armour. <laughs> and Ian looked at it and went, that is what I'm after for Damon, the tiny girl in the suit of armour. But we wanted one thing that was kind of creepy, and that was the hair. Because her hair is just moving the whole time like snakes. And, and that was the one little creepy thing about her that we wanted in there. So it was this back and forth with Dean that resulted in this beautiful, delicate little thing. That fight with her and Hex is fantastic. <laughs> it's <laughs> a brilliant fight. Yeah. Looking at it now in 2019, it feels like the superhero fights that we see in all of our Marvel movies, Batman vs. Superman, buildings falling down, things like that. Did you guys have specific influences that you were thinking of? Or was this just, you know, I really want to see a comic book fight, but in action? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, as I say, Ian, me, Dan, comic book guys, I basically got a bunch of my own comics and Xeroxed just frames from comics of like Thor fighting Odin and, mm -hmm. um, you know, Punisher and, and Wonder Woman fighting big knockdown drag out fights, Gen 13, stuff like that, and, and put those together. Because, yeah, we wanted to capture that sort of the big knockdown drag out fights that people like Jack Kirby used to do. It's Wolverine versus Thor kind of thing. Damon was all finesse and big moves, and Hex was like elbows and kicking and biting. <laughs> you know, it was the two contrasting styles. Hex fights dirty. Hex fights dirty. She does whatever <laughs> it takes. Yeah, that's what we wanted, and that was totally deliberate. It was a brilliant scene. I think I was said during the thing that I've, you know, just a little bit more, just like, you know, just one more minute. <laughs> I just wish, yes, in, in the extended version of the episode, you know, I'm not saying make it a 10-minute fight, but just another minute just to sell some of those big moves. Because there were some really big moves in there, and you, you need mm -hmm. that breath. You know, when Hex hits the ground like a sack of spanners, you just need that beat before she gets back up to sell the exhaustion because we wanted them to fight to a standstill. Mm -hmm. You know, we wanted Hex to be like, come on, you bitch, kind of thing, <laughs> and be all like sweaty and, and battered. I want to talk about faces. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> now I know you said you had a problem with uh, Dot's face. I didn't have so much of a problem with Dot's face, but I had a problem with Goober Bob. Goober Bob. <laughs> yeah, what happened there? And I mean, I, I got used to Dot as well. I mean, she didn't look quite like Dot. If you put the two side by side, it's like, oh my God. But you get used to her, I think. And, and Andrea looked a bit weird, but not too weird. And Mouse looked a bit weird, but not too weird. Actually, I preferred Andrea in season four, the way she looked. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. What happened was all the models had to be updated from season three to season four. And that meant taking a season three model and reskinning it so that it looked the same, but it was a better model and had better control points and more expression and the eyes looked better and you got eyelashes and the lovely shiny eyes and all this kind of stuff and better teeth, new teeth, even though sometimes the gums were the wrong color. <laughs> so all of that, right, had to be revamped. And that is a boring, tedious drudge of a job. <laughs> One of the modelers, who is a great guy and a bit of a genius when it comes to spline modeling and patch, mo you know, he's very, he's written books on modeling in 3D. This guy came up with a way of streamlining the process. He came up with a way of automating the process of taking a season three grinhead and turning it into a season four grinhead. And that's great, but he didn't tell anybody. <laughs> he came up with it off his own bat and he thought, I'm going to do this and impress the hell out of everybody and everybody's going to be pleased and I'm going to be a hero. <laughs> and we see a test of the character talking and I go, what the fuck have you done to Dot's face? And Ian goes, why does Bob look like Grandpa? Why does Bob look like Goober Bob? <laughs> and that's when we found out that this guy had come up with this brilliant idea, not told everybody, and just gone ahead and done it. And we didn't like them. 
And this was round about the time when we went from dot plan to bob plan. And so Ian and I are kicking up a fuss and screaming and shouting about how the characters don't look like the characters anymore. And production are going, tough, you got to just go with it. That modeler now has to move on to another project, so you can't use him to fix the mess he made. And we're like, but they don't look like the characters. And they're like, we don't care. You've got a deadline. Get on with it. And that was it. And that's why you've got Goober Bob and <laughs> slightly weird Dot. But obviously, for certain characters, it, it worked okay. And for other characters, it went horribly wrong. So we just had to go with Bob looking like his own grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about My Two Bobs a little bit. My issue with that one is kind of how Dot doesn't feel quite right. Yeah. Besides her face. <laughs> yes, face aside. That you know, she's she's so focused on wedding and which bobble I choose and you know, she's always been so so in command about stuff going on in the system and things that they have to take care of and her brother's possibly been infected with the virus and her, her dad's coming back as a null, but she, you know, every time she talks to someone it's like, But which Bob? How am I gonna pick between Bobs? And it felt to me at least a little off for her character. Where did the idea of focusing on that and the romance aspect of it come from? I hear you and I agree with you. <laughs> and all I can say in my defense is that I got to go, I got to rely on the stuff that didn't make it onto the screen. I think if we'd been able to do the overlength episodes, there would have been a bit more time for the emotions and for Dot's reasoning. It got edited down so much. Mm-hmm. And emotion takes as much time as humor. And to sell those emotional beats and to try and get inside Dot's head and what's, what she's going through. And as somebody pointed out recently, the PTSD, which she's clearly... <laughs> we talk about that. She's clearly <laughs> suffering from. I think if we'd managed to make the full-length episodes, it wouldn't have been as bad. As I said earlier, you know, the director would be like, there are four emotional beats in this scene. And I've only got time for two of them. Which two should they be? And it's like, well, that's the most important one. And that's the most important one. So you're going to have to do those two. And the other two emotional beats are going to have to fall onto the floor because we just don't have time for them. We've got this much screen time. We have to make it work. And that's what also led to the whole cliffhanger thing, which I'm sure Ben was just about to ask me about. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the ending. Every I think everyone wants to hear about the ending. We know from like what you've been hinting at that you probably won't answer this, but we have to ask, what did you have in mind for the ending? Like, How was the hunt supposed to play out and resolve? Yes, I'm not going to tell you exactly what was going to happen, <laughs> but I will give you a little bit about how we ended up with the cliffhanger, if that's okay, as by way of an answer. Go for it. We were writing the fourth episode, and we realized that we did not have enough time to get all the plot we had on screen in any satisfactory way. I seem to remember we took the beginning of episode four and actually pushed it back into the end of episode three. So we'd already bumped some of episode four backwards into episode three. Prepare Yourselves for the Hunt was supposed to be the end of act two. So it was supposed to be at like the 15 minute mark of the episode. <laughs> and it's like, there's no way we can't do this. We can't. And we kept trying. We kept fooling ourselves and trying to make it work and trying to make it work. And we couldn't make it work. And then eventually we said, look, we've got two choices here. We can either make an episode with all the plot in it, which is frankly rubbish. It'll be like a trailer. It'll be like watching a movie trailer. And mm -hmm. it'll be massively unsatisfactory. The hunt will be a joke. The emotional beats will be, forget it, there won't be any humor. It'll just be this blipvert of an episode that doesn't have a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Or we can go, look, it's going to be a cliffhanger. It's going to be an awesome cliffhanger, because it is an awesome cliffhanger. It's devastating. <laughs> the only thing that stops it being awesome is the fact that we never paid it off. But at the time, it's like, no, that is a kick-ass cliffhanger with a decent episode in front of it. And that was the choice, and we chose to do what we chose to do. You're also holding out hope for another season five. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when we did season three, we thought we were over, and then we weren't. So when it gets to the end of season four, and you're like, well, that's it. It's like, yeah, but what if it isn't? <laughs> <laughs> Especially now. I mean, the fans will demand a, a fifth season, right? Nowadays, all you need is that writing campaign, and Netflix will pick you up. Yeah. <laughs> 
so let's let's lead into this then. So if you had creative control over a new series, would you pick it up right where it left off, or would you kind of reboot it for a newer generation? Ha ha! Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd have to do both. I know Ian has a way of doing this because he told me it. The fans deserve the hunt, and we deserve the hunt because I think the hunt would be awesome. So we'd have to do the hunt, and then somehow the next arc either where it should have been or do some sort of bring it up to date and then do the third arc in the present day, as it were. But then again, there's the other side. You know, you get people, I've heard people sort of go, well, in a way, I don't want them to do the hunt because, you know, it's been so long Mm -hmm. that we've all imagined it a million times. Mm -hmm. And whatever they do, the expectations are so high, you can never live up. Yeah. I'd love to have a crack at it, though. (laughs) Was there a character arc or a story that you really wanted to delve into that you never got a chance to? Well, we we put some breadcrumbs for it in season three, and we definitely touched on it in My Two Bobs. Uh, And it was to do with the whole idea of Bob's radical theories about viruses. (laughs) That was going to be a major part of the third arc. You know, and the whole thing of... um, megabyte where he goes you know so i i wouldn't be a virus anymore and he's like no he's like oh a a fate worse than deletion Mm -hmm. you know it's like i'm a virus that's what i do you can't reprogram me to not to be a virus anymore you might have done it with hex but even hex you could argue he kind of (laughs) cheated because she only became white queen hex because she drained all her power and then when she powered up again she was hex again so we had megabyte die quote-unquote, die, and then come back. And Tex isn't necessarily dead, but she is scattered throughout the net. Yeah, so like when Mouse goes, you know, apart from a few random system glitches, and Dot goes, Hex, yeah, probably. We had a couple more beats like that where there was little hints and little breadcrumbs that Hexy was still out there. So there's a chance that maybe they would have been able to track down those bits and put them back together. Because that's one of the places Hex came from. Back when we were, Ian and I were working in London on the FGS, which is the machine we did Die Straits on, we used to say that the machine was alive because you'd sit there for 12 hours straight animating and rendering on the machine. And you'd finally get to the, you know, I'm so tired, I've got to get some sleep. And you'd set an animation rendering and you'd watch the first couple of frames go down and go, is it working? Yeah, it's working fine. And you'd walk out the door and go home to get some sleep. And when you came back in, you'd be able to calculate that two minutes after you walked out the room, the machine crashed. (laughs) And Ian would be, you bitch. You know, it's like, and that's kind of the whole hex is everywhere. (laughs) The mischief, you know, she'll mess with you if she can. So I like to think that somebody, some members of the cast might have gone on some sort of mission to maybe recompile hex. Yeah. All right. Well, should we uh, jump into the listener questions? Most of the most of the Patreon questions actually you've already kind of answered within your other answers. So yeah, that's a lot. A lot of the questions have already been answered with the talk. So we've got a few questions from Steph Naylor, which you uh, nipped in the bud a few, but we'll go through them just so everyone can hear. Absolutely. Not everybody follows me on Twitter. Yeah. So <laughs> the first two were the, do you have any rights to reboot anymore or does Rainmaker own it all? And could you have made a fifth season at a new studio? The rights to reboot are held by the studio, whatever it's called these days. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we have absolutely no rights to the show whatsoever. So therefore, no We couldn't remake the show at another studio because we don't own it. And then her other questions was, have you thought of who could be a new voice for Megabyte? Did you have someone in mind? And where is Frisket when it's revealed that Frisket is actually Megabyte? Oh, blimey. (laughs) Where is Frisket? You know, we, we had a point where Megabyte takes over for Frisket, and I can't remember where it was. The last time we see Frisket that we're pretty sure is... Frisket. Frisket is yeah. they are springing a trap on what who they believe is Megabyte. And they all jump out of the car and they put the target on Megabyte and he's trying to change from person to person and finally they're like, ha we got him. Right. And then it ends up being a copy. Is that Frisket at that point? Or is that Megabyte as Frisket? It's probably somewhere in there. Basically, they're chasing the copy from the get-go. Ah. I don't think we see Frisket do much 
you know, he doesn't chomp on any ABCs or anything after that point. He just sort of mooches along and he's in the principal office in the control room with everybody else. So we don't see him doing anything weird. I think it was like, no, don't show him, don't do it. He's just there. He's not doing anything. He's just there, you know. He does copy people extremely well in a very non-megabyte way. This is especially noticeable when he does Mike the TV, because I can't imagine Megabyte ever acting like Mike. <laughs> so does he like actually get a bit of their code when he does that? Like, Does he kind of for real turn into them in a way? Oh, that's an interesting idea. We, we never talked about that, but apart from being an excellent actor, how does he, uh, how does he manage to mimic Mike? so well. Yeah, maybe there's a little bit of Mike in there. Uh, going back to the previous question there, I'm not sure who we'd use to replace Megabyte. I haven't really thought about it. Every now and again, you know, Ian and I'll be watching something and it'll be like, ooh, that's a good voice, isn't it? You know? <laughs> we have a question from Cameron O'Hara who asks, uh, with the season four flashbacks to like 80s dot, oh, yeah. was there ever any talk of going like full money for nothing with the visual style? <laughs> like making everybody blocky and... Uh... No, we, 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 no. He imagined the improvements in animation each season could have, like, the explanation that Mainframe was just getting graphical updates every so often. Oh, yes, I saw that. I thought that was an interesting concept, the, the idea that if we did a flashback, we'd flashback the graphics as well. But, no, we didn't make it part of the plot, I think is the quickest way to, to, to put it. If we'd made season one now, they'd have had shadows. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we just, they didn't have shadows because we couldn't render them in time. I have to take issue with something Zeke said in his interview where he said, you know, we, we were holding out for more money to turn the shadows on. <laughs> I think what he's forgetting is the fact that um, the render times for shadows back then were prohibitive. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had enough trouble getting the frames through the pipeline and getting the frames rendered in time. If you'd thrown shadows in there as well, <laughs> to render a scene with shadows back then would have been like 10 times longer to render. We would never have got the show rendered. The way we did it in season one was we could do it in layers and edit together in the edit suite. So we'd do the background and then we'd do the foreground characters and then we'd render a mat and then we'd use the edit suite to stitch them together. If you're doing shadows, you have to render everything all together. And that multiplies the render by a hundred times. So that's why we only use shadows very sparingly in season one and two for effect. We had a couple people asking like, if it was possible to like crowdfund a proper season five, like how much would that cost if there's any way to even predict that? No, I, have, I, I can't speak to that. I have no clue. Is that an effort in futility just thinking about? Well, yeah, and I see a lot, bless them, a lot of people going, you know, oh, we could crowdfund and buy the rights back. It's like, do you know how much that would cost? Because <laughs> I'm assuming that would cost a lot of money and would involve a complicated contract because nobody sells rights for nothing and nobody sells rights completely. They'd always want to keep fingers in the pie. It's massively complicated. Do you have rights for things other than the TV series or they have all of them? No, they own the rights to reboot, period. I mean... So, comics, novelizations, the whole... Yeah, when, when Jim Sue did the two reboot art books, he had to go to Rainmaker slash Mainframe slash whatever the hell they're called and, you know, do a deal with them so that he could do the books. Am I right in remembering, I think somebody mentioned at one point that there was like a webcomic follow-up? There was, yeah. That, back during one of the iterations of Mainframe Rainmaker, they, they did a continuation, quote-unquote, as a webcomic. Oh, but you weren't involved in that? No, no, that was after I'd gone, no. Now, my contact with Reboot ended with uh, My Two Bobs. We didn't really talk about the game. Should we Should we get into the game at all, or do you think they've kind of run long enough? Oh, the video game. <laughs> I was like, the, what episode game? The PlayStation game. Oh, right. People have asked me about that and whether it's, you know, what happens in the game is canon. And no, it's. I don't think it's canon. I don't consider it canon. We picked a team, an internal team of animators, and put them in a room and said, you're the game team. You guys work with Electronic Arts to do the game, and you guys do all the interstitials for the game and the cutscenes and things like that. And we let EA and this group, the, the game team, we just let them run with it and have fun with it. We told them not to worry about having to match continuity or, you know... I mean, obviously, we kept an eye on them and mm -hmm. made sure they didn't do anything too ridiculous. Like tearing off Dot's face, you know, <laughs> nothing like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. 
nothing like that. But uh, yeah, we didn't want them to have to worry about continuity and treading on the toes of the cannon. We just said, no, you guys have fun. That makes a lot more sense than when we see our uh, tiny Enzo and tiny Frisket. <laughs> like, what was this? What was going on here? <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us, Gavin. It was a pleasure, as always. The pleasure was all mine. You know me. I love rambling on about the past, and I'll do it. I'll gladly do it at the drop of a hat. It's was so exciting the fact that you you know reached out to us to begin with and the fact that you've now sat with us three times to talk about the show um like i can't even say like how cool it was that you're a part of it so thank you oh thank you i'm so i'm kind of sad that it's all you know you've done it i know we did it we made it through the whole thing when you started doing it it's like oh well that will keep them busy for a while and now it's like oh oh it's over and it's, oh, you've done it now. What are you going to do now? <laughs> uh, take a break from podcasting. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got three e- episodes to edit here. <laughs> <laughs> Stay frosty. Stay frosty. <laughs> Stay frosty.